the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the stories of blood donors and their recipients. We thank donors and encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets and breast milk. If you have ever been a donor, you could be the one who saved, prolonged or improved the quality of life of the person that we profile here each week on the podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. In today's episode, it feels like we get right back to the roots of the original episodes that were created for the first season of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. I love telling the survival stories of blood product recipients and offering them this platform to thank the blood donors who helped to save their lives. Mandy McCracken is a quad amputee who is living an amazing life. In 2013, she and her husband Rod were working hard, raising their young family, and Mandy was carrying the mental load of motherhood when she became unwell with what she initially thought was the flu. Within days, she would be in an intensive care unit fighting for her life from the sepsis that would progressively attempt to destroy her body. It was a miracle that Mandy survived and her life would be irreversibly altered by the amputation of all four of her limbs. Mandy joins us to share her stoic and pragmatic version of what it is like to be on the edge of life and then to carve out a new life as a quad amputee. Never one to shy away from a challenge, Mandy has made some incredible contributions to the Australian society since her accident, forming Quad Squad, a support group for those around the world who have all had their limbs amputated. The podcast, Look Mum, No Hands, telling the story of how she left the safety of her husband and Cara Rod to live independently in Melbourne so that their daughter could complete her schooling. And now her latest pursuit, Get Started Disability Support Australia. We will pop a link to all of these things in our show notes. Joining me to tell her story and to thank the blood donors who saved her life, I give you my chat with Mandy McCracken. Mandy McCracken, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast and community. Hello, hello. Nice to have you here. Um, One of the things that we love to do on this podcast is tell survival stories of blood product recipients. And rather than focusing on the actual trauma, which we will touch on um, with everything that's happened with your journey, but we really like to focus on the amazing things that you have gone on to do with your life that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do had you not had the blood products to help you survive. Um, But I just want to remind you, this is not a medically or scientifically correct podcast. So I know when people have had significant medical trauma, you're not going to remember all the ins and outs and bits no. and pieces. <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> yep. So no expectation there. 
Um, before we dive into all of that, though, um, can you just give me a snapshot of what your life was like in the week before you became unwell so we can get yeah. a bit of an idea so, of your household? Yeah, I got sick when I was 39 and I had three daughters and I'm married as well. And um, my kids at that time were nine, seven and just turning four. So I was the frantic stay-at-home mum. Yeah. Uh, I had a finger in everything. I was doing all the... Um, school committees and playground committees and and everything I was loving it I was really happy enjoying life doing that um and then yeah sure one one day I just felt crook and I thought I had the flu and I went to bed on a Wednesday and uh by Friday night all hell broke loose and I ended up in a microambulance in a mad rush trying to get to the hospital yeah it's amazing how quickly life can change isn't it just it in does. that moment so did you have any idea what was wrong or you just thought you had a nasty viral thing that I had no idea um it was so, I was sort of presenting like gastro but right. um I had a thing called sepsis which I'd never heard of I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about it and uh sepsis is basically a reaction to a, an infection and you're, it's a medical emergency, so your body goes into this um, shutdown, uh, it attacks itself, and um, the, the main thing that happens, it, it tries to keep your internal organs going, so it starts shutting down your, um, your circulation. So my hands and feet eventually turned black um, after I was in a coma for 10 days, and, uh, yeah, that was black as ink, and um, I've now got four amputations um yeah I've got my knees and my elbows though so that's what I'm left with yep so having those joints is quite important isn't it in terms of what types of function that you have going forward so is that part of the reason that they did the amputations to try and preserve those elbow and knee joints well they did the amputations to keep me alive yes yeah so uh I thankfully did lots of work to keep my knees. My medical team did a hyperbaric treatment to make sure that my knees and, and the skin around my knees was saved. Right. Uh, and, yeah, knees mean that walking on prosthetic legs is, I won't say simple, but easier <laughs> than having no knees. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. less complicated. And then, you know, having elbows, you can do a lot of stuff. I wear prosthetic hooks. Yeah. Um, I've got myoelectric hooks, uh, myoelectric hands. Yeah. And, Elbows are wonderful as well. We like an elbow. We like a knee. <laughs> they're useful. <laughs> they're useful. Yes. I wouldn't say they're handy, but that's a bit of a bad pun. <laughs> See, yeah. you're allowed to make those jokes. Oh, like that. yeah. sure. And that's one of the things I was going to ask you as well, is that I've heard you speak different platforms lots of times before about different things and that was why I really wanted you to come on the show because you tell your story in such a beautiful normalizing way I think it really helps to open up that conversation um can you tell me a little bit about why that's important uh well the old saying if you don't laugh you cry so um it's a very stoic way of being you know just trying to be positive and move forward and Mm. um i think the black humor uh lightens the mood because you're in an incredibly tough challenging situation when this is going on and if you can have a bit of a giggle um my husband and i have always enjoyed some black humor yep and uh we started very early on with this happening and uh it's it's done well with the kids as well like yeah you know that sort of dark humor it means that everyone can laugh with us um 
lightens the load on everyone's behalf. Mm. And it's also hilariously fun yeah. to, you know, leave your body parts lying around the house <laughs> and the neighbourhood and, and seeing what the reactions are from strangers is always a hoot. Yep, mm. wonder. So do you find that people, once you sort of break that barrier, have got lots of questions like people, you know, I was even just looking at your hand before and I'm fascinated about the way that works. And are you happy talking about those types yeah, of sure. things? Yeah. Sure. Um, because I know my, so we've got three kids um, and they're all on the autism spectrum um, and they all have some physical disabilities as well. So um they would just walk up and just ask you questions about that hand. They would think it was the coolest thing that they had ever seen yeah. and they would want to know exactly how it works and exactly what it does and all of those types of things. We've really encouraged people to talk to us about, you know, the various challenges that our family have got and we really focus on the intention of the question rather than the particular language that people use because I know people can be quite concerned about that different type of you know language whether it's disability first or person first and I'm very much in a space of learning that so I'm always interested to see what people think as people living with disabilities. Yeah. Well, I these days don't notice that I've got prosthetic arms and legs and I wander around with a hook. I sort of don't yeah. care anymore. I just I yeah. just crack on and do what I'm doing. And <laughs> you're a mum. You've got shit to do. You don't I've have time to think about so stuff like this. <laughs> so um, yeah. If yeah, if uh, I just ignore it and, and move forward. Um, yeah. I, I don't mind a question. A question yeah. is fine. Sometimes you get really tired of having to answer questions and it's so much, but it depends on your own frame of mind of whether or not you're in a good place and you can have the headspace to, you know, take these people on the journey with you. Yeah, um, sure. yeah but a good question from a kid's always hilarious. And I, I walked around the neighbourhood recently and I had my hook on uh, and there was this gorgeous little boy that came up to me and he just sort of stood wide-eyed in front of me and I just whispered in his ear and I said, I'm a pirate. <laughs> and I, said, <laughs> I kept walking and I uh, left him to it. And I knew, you know, that that was the extent of our interaction. Yeah. And I just I just kept walking and I had a good giggle when I got home. It was like, oh, that poor parent that has to do it. Mom, there was a pirate in the, in the Mommy, park. I met a pirate today. Yeah. <laughs> On the pirate, I know that your family, and this ties very much into a similar thing, loves a good Halloween costume. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about how you have sort of integrated? Oh, your body? my phone's sure. ringing. I, I did turn it off and I silenced it, but of course the child, ah, no, go away, child. No, take a call from No, I won't thing. take it. She can deal with life. Unfortunately, when I put my phone on silent, she's still allowed to ring. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, we were in America for Halloween a couple of years ago and yeah. we decided to go as zombies and we went and found a whole heap of old clothes from the op shop and dressed up. And uh, my husband had my prosthetic hand hanging around his neck on a, on a tie. That's and I, I was the zombie bride with a, um, a white dress and I had blood dripping down where my arms should have been. And That's we were awesome. the best best uh outfit in the entire neighborhood and america does halloween you know, they do it very differently actually to australia it's very disney and sugary right australian, australian halloween's a lot more gruesome which a bit i darker yep so um yeah we wandered around the neighborhood with me with blood dripping off where my arms should have been and we had a ball and the kids loved it by that stage we were well into our teenage years yep 
and it was one of our proud moments definitely as a family <laughs> amazing so how old are the girls now uh, my oldest is uh, finishing year 12 as we speak so she's now 18 and 16 and 13 so we've all grown up amazing that's a whole different stage of life isn't it we're not there yet our oldest is 12 so we're 12 10 and 6 so we're right in the middle at the moment yep yeah they're all turning into adults uh which is great it's really nice you know kid little kid stage is great fun and I can tell you when you get to the other side it's such relief that it's finished yeah <laughs> the nights are long, but the years are short. We have decided. Yes. <laughs> um, having had Marley have a life-threatening health condition, and we've nearly lost her quite a few times now with her autoimmune encephalitis. Um, I think we've just had a completely different mindset to all of those different parenting challenges that may, you know, might have concerned us previously. Um, I think we're just so bloody grateful to have her and it's given her brothers a very different perspective of life as well. I think we just don't sweat the small stuff anymore and, you know, get a real problem is a very strong saying in this house when we're talking about things that are going on and struggles outside our household and the things that other people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's something that would very much be reflected in your household as well. Uh, it was for a period, yeah. Right. We've now resorted back to what everybody else is doing. So, wow. yeah, you, you get to a point that, well, for us, um, our life is stable, stabilised again, which is lovely, really nice. And the small, intricate, crappy details that we shouldn't all be worrying about are back. And, you know, it's really nice that that's, that's what yeah. we've come back to. So... The one thing that annoys me and used to really frustrate me was people would would look at our family and our situation and say, oh, well, I've got nothing to complain about because I look at you. And I, I hate that comment. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Um, firstly, because you never want to be told that your life's that crap, that, you know, you're at the bottom of the pile, which you may well be. That's fine. Mm. But you don't want to hear it from strangers. And secondly, um, Oh, I've lost my train of thought. Um, you know, yeah, you just deal with what you're dealing with. Yeah. You weren't given this by choice. Let's just crack on. And to be reminded constantly that, you know, your situation is worse than what somebody else's might be. Um, so we've sort of just stepped over that, those sort of comments and we just keep going. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of mental resilience floating around. And, yeah, the kids... Um, you know, we've all grown really well and we can deal with change really well. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found that difficult too when Marley was at her sickest is that sometimes I would just want to call a girlfriend and have her tell me about her yep. shit haircut or the fact that her boss was mean to her at work or she'd had a fight with her husband or she'd had a great orgasm or like whatever it is, just that trivial girl talk, you know, I've been to a great restaurant because I just needed that relief from the relentlessness of what our situation was. And people stopped telling me about the trivial things in their lives because they felt like the gravity of ours was so big that they thought that we wouldn't want to know those trivial details. But that was all I wanted at times. Like I still wanted to be involved in people's lives. So I think it's a delicate balance. Yep. Yeah, I was once doing um, a speech in front of a whole group of school kids and, uh, you know, I'm standing up there talking about how when you have your hands and feet chopped off, 
you can pretty much deal with anything. Yeah. Life gives you lemons, you'll be fine. And this one poor boy came up to me afterwards and he was obviously quite uh, nervous and shy and and trying to hold his shit together. Mm. And he held up his hand and he showed me he'd lost his little finger. And he immediately... And my first reaction was I, I laughed because I was just high on adrenaline and I'm just going, oh, you know, you've lost a little finger, you've got to be kidding me. And he just burst into tears. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, hang on a tick. You know, pull back, Mandy. This kid's dealing with some really big stuff. And, mm. yes, it's, it's one little finger that he's lost, like compared to what I'm dealing with is, mm. is you can't compare it. But for him it was his world. And yep. he was dealing with some major stuff and, and it was very wrong of me to see that what I thought was a very small incident. Mm. Um, it was wrong for me to see it as small, whereas for him it was massive. Yeah. Don't yeah. our little people teach us so many amazing lessons? So oh, yeah. Marley is just, yeah, all of our kids really have been through more shit than you could imagine. you could imagine but you would expect children at that age to have navigated and they just get on with it like it's amazing the way that they just see the world differently and they just get on it's refreshing um so one of the things that I found super confronting about your story um when researching this story and having heard you speak is hearing you speak about what it was like to be in an induced coma um we've had Marley put into an induced coma four times now when she's having status epilepticus seizures and she's had to be intubated and ventilated and we've spent quite a lot of time in and out of pediatric intensive care units. Um, we were always told that she would never have any memory of being in that induced coma. Okay. And yet as we've dropped her medications down at different times, she's quite clearly told us about different visions that she has had, obviously in an age-appropriate way yeah um but you obviously quite well remember bits and pieces I know so why did you find what I said confronting I think I was hoping that she wouldn't remember Ah. those like that fear and those feelings I think the way that you described it it just obviously hit a nerve for me as what my worst feeling would be for her that you know being able to feel a breathing tube or feeling like, you know, you were the chessboard game analogy that you use, being stuck in that and not being able to get out of it and how her little three- and four-year-old mind would have processed that information. Well, let me say also amongst, you know, I was in a coma for 10 days and um, amongst all of those pretty full-on hallucinations essentially was what I was having, um, I had some great ones. Oh, good. You know, there were times, one of my hallucinations was I was in charge of an all-female circus. And I, was having, I was having a ball. Um, <laughs> and I remember actually um, really clearly I kept having these flashes of um, the, these two Asian faces, yeah. a, a guy and a girl, and the guy had glasses on and, and the, there was this bright light and there were these two young faces and they kept saying to me wake up Mandy wake up and I was was really angry it was like no I want to get back to the circus I'm having so much fun um and it turned out that they were the medical staff that were actually trying to wake me up out of my coma yeah um so don't don't stress about the coma thing yeah um it's like a dream you can have have bad dreams and good dreams and Mm. it's all part of our imagination like it was fascinating I found it I actually found the coma quite 
overall enjoyable. Let's say that. So yeah, don't don't stress too much. And that is not the description that I would have expected you to have given of those ten days as being overall uh, enjoyable. It was <laughs> well, yeah, you know, completely horrific for my family, obviously. Of course. Yeah. Um, but I slept through it with mm. with very strong drug induced comas. <laughs> Yeah, it's hallucinations. So, yeah, it was nice to wake up the other end. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you tell me the story about um, the nurse that took you out into the garden outside and having that chat to yourself and the bird coming to see you? Yes. Um, so the nurse was Helen and lovely, very chatty nurse. And mm. she decided one day I was going to go, she was going to take me out to the courtyard. And so she packaged up my bed with all the gadgets that went with it. And she put me underneath a beautiful tree. And I'd been in ICU by that stage for about six weeks. And wow. um, yeah, I had a really frank conversation in my head because of course I couldn't speak. I had a tracking on me in. Mm. Um, and just concluded that, right, let's fight this. You know, I can't, we're not going to let this be the end of me. I'm going to make it my strength. And, um, yeah, this little bird popped on a branch and it made me just go, oh, wow, life is too short. I've got to enjoy this and push hard and make sure that I get through it. Mm-hmm. So it was very much a turning point. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll show you on here. Oh, it's a bit hard to show him. Yes. Oh, yeah. You ran. You see him. It's yes. my fairy wren. So um, I've only got that done in the last couple of weeks. Um, our middle guy, Campbell, is a surviving twin and his twin bre- uh, brother, Benjamin, died during our pregnancy. And right through our whole life at different important points in our lives, we've had little visits from little blue fairy wrens. And from the yeah. time Campbell was quite little, he has said, oh, that's my twin brother coming to visit oh, nice. me. And it's 10 years this year since we lost him. So I got that tattoo recently. But it's just, it's yeah, interesting those little signs from nature and the universe that can really be turning points in your life. And, you know, whether it is a visit from Benjamin or not, like who would ever know, but it's such a nice way to weave that through our family story. So, yeah, and I, th- I think so much of it is just, as I said, your frame of mind to yeah. be open to something symbolic like that and, yeah. and hold on to it and nourish that that thought in your own brain and, and yeah, it can make such a difference to your recovery of it all. Mm -hmm. Do you think in that moment that you decided that you were going to keep living? Um, I think that fly flying past my camera. Um, (laughs) Go on. So do you think in that moment that you decided that you were going to keep living and you were going to, you know, really put everything into that? um, Do you think your mindset would have been different had you not had the girls? No, no. I think I. this is who I am. amazing yeah uh interesting I had um I had uh medical staff reminding me to call my kids and um it was sort of the first time I was like oh wow yeah okay I've still got to put in as a parent Mm -hmm. and there was so much of my uh thought process was just to get better and rebuild my strength that I had sort of forgotten about my parenting duties so so many people are like, oh, you know, it's you're surviving for your kids and you're surviving mm. for them. It's like, no, I'm surviving for myself. Thanks very much. Yeah, amazing. Um, don't tell them that, but no. yes. <laughs> they won't listen to this podcast. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're probably at that age that if you're on it, then they won't think that it's cool. So they won't want oh, to. Oh, no, 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 no. They won't listen to it. Mum podcast, not at all. <laughs> not cool. Mum's podcast isn't cool. Um, we sort of touched on it a little bit before, but I'm interested to know how you have experienced Dylan Orcott being the Australian of the Year. Now, I adore Dylan. He's done some amazing, amazing, amazing things um, in terms of having our children see someone with disability represented in that way. I think it's a really great first step. I guess my concern as a mother um, of three kids with various disabilities is that disability is so much more than elite sports people, Paralympians, mm. and people, you know, experiencing it in that way. And it's so important for me to see different um, representations of disability um, across all different forms of media and, you know, mainstream pop culture, like all of that kind of stuff. How's that experience been like for you? I am never going to be a Paralympian. I was, my body is not built to run, it never <laughs> run anymore. Um, and yeah, I, everyone used to say to me, oh, now you can join the Paralympics. It's like, <laughs> you're better off. Yeah. Um, so actually I did quite a bit with um, my work with ABC, trying to find people that were leaders in the community that weren't Paralympians and still mm. had a disability going on. Um, and in that time, you know, I've, had my disability for nine years it's actually changed quite a bit and we're hearing from more people that are just regular people that have a disability mm. and they're successful for whatever reason uh and that's really refreshing so nice like you know it's great that we have a disabled um australian in the year fantastic he's already yep. putting our voice out there very strongly which i'm incredibly grateful for mm. uh, but i'm wanting to see you know, um, doctors that have disability and lawyers and artists. And um, I'm battling at the moment with the idea that when we see these people, do we see them because of their disability and they're doing this stuff or do we just see them because they're doing this stuff? Um, I'm, I, I would like the disability not to be relevant. Mm -hmm. Like they're just a person. Like, let's not pat them on the back for being in a wheelchair or getting up the stairs or, you know, getting out of bed. As Stella Young, if you've ever come across her, said in her TED Talk, we yeah. don't need to be congratulated for getting out of bed. We just no. want to be regular people. Yeah. So, uh, and I think, um, I, I know ABC TV are doing a great job of just putting disabled people in front of the camera. And not because we're talking about disability, just because there's traffic jam over a bridge and, you know, there's something happening in the law courts. Like it doesn't mm. matter that, that they're disabled. Mm. Um, so, you know, my I'm writing quite a bit at the moment. Do I write about disability or just do I just write about stuff? Yeah. And I'm really, for me, I'm just heading towards the, I want to just write about stuff. Yeah. But I know it's really important that we do get that disabled voice out there mm. as much as we can so that it becomes normal and it just becomes everyday part of our community. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me what you created with the ABC storytelling scholarship yes. just so I can um, draw our listeners' attention to please. it? It's really challenging to find, which is a bit of a bummer, but um, mm -hmm. I did a little podcast series called Look Mum, No Hands. Uh, so if you go onto the ABC uh, Listen app and you actually type in Mandy McCracken, there's six episodes there. And... I just wanted to tell the story of moving away from my family home to Melbourne 
with my teenage daughter um, as a, I'll say, single parent, even though my husband's still, we're still married, um, her and I set up home in Melbourne so she could do her year 12 down here. So I had to get my head around being away from my partner slash carer, mm-hmm. actually doing this by myself. How on earth do you set up a house when you haven't got hands? How do you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night when there's no one to catch you? Yeah. What, do you what does this look like? How do I find friends? You know, um, and so I did a podcast on what that was like. And I, mm. it was incredibly cathartic for me because I just sat there and I went, right, you know, I'm really struggling today because my prosthetic hand's not working. I can't, I can't do stuff. And one day I tried to make myself a cup of coffee and I literally covered the, co- the kitchen in coffee, mm. literally just coffee everywhere. And I can't clean it up. And I had to sit there for two hours and wait for someone to come and help me. Actually, no, I had to wait for my daughter to come home from school and it was Mm -hmm. like a six-hour period until she came home. And, you know, how do you deal with that situation? So frustrating. Yeah. Uh, So it was great just to say it out loud and then make it into a story and then put it out there so that other people can understand what this was like. And it was actually really interesting having friends and family listen to it because... So much of it was what was ticking around in my brain. And, of course, I've never said it out loud to them. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realise you had to deal with this stuff all day, every day. It's like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what life looks like for me now. We've certainly had a lot of people learn a lot about our family and our experiences with Marley um, and caring for her through this, um, through listening to this podcast. And I think so much of it is you're just stuck in that vortex when it's in the critical survival part of it that you don't remember who you've told what to and all of those types of things. And you can't tell everyone all of the details of everything all of the time. Like it would just be too overwhelming for people that aren't living it. So yeah, but so we will much. make sure it's not difficult for people to find for listeners of our oh, podcast. I'll pop yes. a link to it in the show notes and we'll certainly, yeah, link it through our socials and that kind of thing. Um, yes. It's an incredible piece of work and, yeah, it's something that I got a lot out of. So thank oh, you for creating you're it. Welcome. Yeah, my, so much of this, this and what you're doing is just um, sharing your experience so that the next person who's who's living the same thing goes oh, I understand yeah absolutely I get I get you know seven lasagnas on your doorstep is you know why not- is it always lasagna <laughs> lasagnas as, as my husband said it really needs to come with a bottle of red you know if you're gonna if you're gonna <laughs> deliver a lasagna to somebody's house it must come with alcohol as well <laughs> Well, we got to the point of saying to people, they're like, you know, what can we do? And I'm like, no more lasagna, please no more lasagna, but go and book in a blood donation because at, you know, one point Marley was living in a 10 day cycle. And if she didn't get her three days worth of IVIG plasma infusion, she wouldn't have made it through the next And do you know if those people ever actually did the blood donation? Absolutely. So that's how the milkshakes for Marley um, concept started. So you know, you go and donate blood, get a milkshake because you've donated for Marley. We then created a lifeblood team. Um, and so we could start tracking those donations. And in the hundred day lead up to the f- first anniversary of the first time that we had to say goodbye to her and didn't think she'd make it through the night. Um, I wanted to make it something really positive in a way that we could share that story and to thank people. And so I set out as just a social media campaign that I started. It was something quite small, but I wanted to try and recruit 
100 new plasma donors in the 100 day lead up to her first anniversary. And it ended up being something that, you know, we ended up with donors from all over Australia, um, lots of new blood and platelet donors as well. We picked up some people that were donating breast milk for premature babies. And um, sort of over the last few years, that's how the concept of the Milkshakes for Marley movement and this podcast have evolved was I saw the power in telling Marley's story and how important it was for us to thank the blood donors that were keeping her alive. So I wanted to create a platform for other people to be able to tell their stories. Um, So I know that there would have been, you probably don't remember, but there's lots of different points through your story where I can see that blood products would have been absolutely essential. I wouldn't be here without them, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd be six feet under, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me about um, Rod and how this experience has impacted your marriage? You sort of touched on it before about the fact that you went from having him as your carer to then not having him there. So to go from being best mate, husband, carer, like how do you keep all of those balls in the air? And Um, I know you've done a lot of work together as well. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We um, (laughs) were very good at fighting. Um, we have had huge highs and lows throughout all of this and it's one thing I don't think people who haven't been through an experience like we've been through is understanding the stress in a marriage that Mm -hmm. a situation like this brings the stress I've never experienced stress to this level before in my life um and he, he has done a brilliant job. I can't fault him at all. He's been the most fantastic husband and father. We've been really open and honest. We always mm-hmm. check in with each other. Yeah. Um, and when I, that, the beautiful thing about it was it now, when I'm relaxed, he's stressed. When he's stressed, I'm relaxed. Yeah. I'm relaxed, he's, well, the other way around. You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I knew what you meant. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it. And it's an ongoing thing, you know, I'm nine years down the track and we're now going through the next level of stress. Like it's, mm-hmm. it changes and develops and we know as, as a family we can get through whatever life throws at us now because yeah. we've been through the worst. Um, and I checked in with my eldest just recently and said, you know, how are you doing? And See, I've seen a psychologist the whole way through this because yes. it's just so good to talk about this stuff. And Rod has on and off spoken to Sykes and we we took the kids to Sykes just to check in, to go, you know, are you okay? Like, is, yep. are, you, are you scarred for life? Yeah, of course yeah. you are. Um, <laughs> and I think the kids were too young uh, to make the most of that situation with the psych. And mm. I think uh, now my daughter's 18 it would be helpful for her in the next couple of years to have another debrief session just to discuss the impact that this situation's had on her. And I think the kids should do it as well, Uh, you know, as they grow older and can deal with that conversation. Um, And moving to those different life stages with different stresses too, it's interesting to see we have noticed as a family that when we're stressed about something completely different, that's when some of that you know, trauma or anger or, you know, it rises. And I was thinking, you know, if she's doing her HSC at the moment, it would be interesting to see if something stressful like that pulls out some of that emotion. Um, she's she's doing pretty well. She's 
she's doing really well. It's interesting, my middle daughter, um, I think she has a, a decent level of PTSD that we didn't realise was there. And, you know, she was seven when I was sick. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, when she was 14, it, it started really rearing its ugly head. Um, and now looking back on it, it's really interesting chatting to my psych um, just recently. She said to me, my daughter missed, there was this period of my life, all our lives, that I was not available, at, you know, for about two or three year period, mm -hmm. uh, just trying to get better and learn to walk and everything, that I wasn't around for her as a parent would be. Uh, and now at the age of 16, she's gathering that back. Like she's pulling back um, the emotional um, scaffolding that she should have had then and she didn't get a chance to. And so my psych said, like, I was like, oh, my God, you know, she's, she's sort of, she can't not have me in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's 16. Yeah. And my psych's like, it's fine. Don't worry mm -hmm. about it. You know, yep. she, missed, she missed that three-year period where she should have been um, holding you close to, you know, like hiding behind your skirt kind of thing. She missed that. So now she's doing it, what, five years later. Yep. And, you know, it's a development stage that she missed. So really interesting stuff. Yeah. That's such a powerful thing for so many of our listeners to hear as well, because so many people that listen to this podcast have been through similar experiences. We sort of draw that community together of people that have been through the things that other people literally can't imagine yeah. um, and it's so difficult for them and people that listen regularly will hear me talk about the fact that we don't like labeling our kids as being special needs kids we like to talk about ourselves as an additional needs family because if you've got anyone in your family who has an illness injury disability over a long term you know scale it's going to impact on everybody in your family and everybody's circumstances are going to change to a point so I think it's really important to recognize those additional needs of everybody in your household and that's such a beautiful example of you guys showing up to make sure that those needs are recognized and looked after in her oh look I think don't you know don't get me off the hook just yet I'm sure I've completely screwed it all of my kids lives up and when they're all about 28 they'll tell me the truth <laughs> but I mean I think all of our children will tell us that at some stage anyway we're all yeah. just doing the best that we can yeah it's true um can you tell me about the quad squad and the support group that yeah you're... yeah so losing your hands and feet is a very unique experience mm -hmm. there's not many other um, situations that will end result in that except if you go to Afghanistan and get yourself blown up yeah or if you have sepsis um, mm -hmm. so when I was in hospital I, there was a tv show on and there was a fellow called Matthew Ames uh, on on the screen as I'm literally lying in bed having my my legs and arms amputated and um, yeah. there he is and he's been through exactly the same thing that I had been through and watching him and his family the kids were the same age as mine yeah and he was cracking on with life and it was like, oh, wow. So, of course, we got in touch and next time we were up in Queensland, we organised to catch up with him and he brought along another woman called uh, Corinne Barrett and she too was another quadruple amputee. And so the three of us sat in a pub surrounded by all our family and we literally pulled off body parts and we laughed and we laughed and we laughed and we talked about lasagnas and we, you know, all the stupid <laughs> we through. And we'd lived through this same story. And I was like, oh, thank God I found somebody who understands what this looks like. And husbands and wives were saying the same thing. And the kids were all like, yep, mum's lost her feet and her hands. And what a powerful experience for all of your children. And so we came away from it just going, we've got to stay in touch. Yeah. 
And so we set up a Facebook page and sure enough, somebody else knew another quadruple amputee, another one person knew a quad amp, this, that and the other. And we started a thing called the Quad Squad. And so it started with the Australian quadruple amputees and then we had a, somebody in America and then the word got out in the States and there are so many quadruple amputees in America, it's quite bizarre. And so now we've got 400 people That's that are amazing. like a small number, but from a, such a unique perspective, it's amazing. So we talk about things like how do you pull your undies up? How do you put your hair in a ponytail? Yeah. Um, and anytime there's a new quadruple amputee that comes along, they all hear about us through the, the grapevine. Mm-hmm. And so often it's when somebody's still sitting in a hospital and their husband or wife is like, how do we get through this? Yeah. And we get in touch and we go, you'll be fine. We know where you're at. You know, you're right in this stage. Um, have you tried such and such? Often we, we put people in touch with, um, you know, medical ideas of what to do next. Mm-hmm. And it's grown. So we now get together once every three years, give or take COVID. Yeah. And we just, we have that pub experience again so that we can all just go, have you tried this? Have you tried that? You know, and we make fun of ourselves and it's great. Mm-hmm. And what I've now got evolving from that is I'm starting up a new charity called Get Started Disability Support Australia. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the idea is very much like a new parents group, like a mother's group. Yeah. When you're freshly home with your new disability, you meet people in your neighbourhood who are living with disability. You know, it doesn't really matter what the disability is. Yeah. They understand, you know, where's the best car park? Who's got the great coffee shop with the great access? You know, who can, how do you find somebody who's brilliant in the garden? Or, you know, I've got a gadget at home and I just can't make it work. What do I do? And it's people in your neighbourhood that you get connected into. So That is amazing. Yeah, so that's this year's project um, to get that. And I'm, I want to get it Australia-wide. So, yeah. so is it up and running yet? Can we link to it through the show in any way? Um, yeah, well, it's brand new, very brand new. I'm looking for funding. So if yep. anybody's out there who knows someone with some a bucket of money and they want to put it forward and get this project up and running, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me know. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a website, getstarteddisability.org.au. Amazing. We'll pop a link to that in our show notes and we'll tag you across our socials when we release this episode. So if anyone knows of funding that can get in contact with you, um, that would be a great way to do it. Or of course, slide into my DMs and I could forward the information on to you. So, yeah, so that's the next thing. So, you know, the support, the peer support thing, it's so vital. So important. So important to have people that are living the same life as what you're going through because, you know, you, you can't just turn up to your family Christmas and get the same support as you would when you're speaking to someone who's who's living your mm. reality. Yeah, yep. absolutely. That is amazing. And I think that's a beautiful place to end the episode, Mandy. Um, I've just got one final question. Um, and that is what would you like to say to the blood donors who not just kept you alive, but kept your family together um, and kept the girls with their mum or anyone who's considering a blood donation in the future? Oh, look, um, you know, if, if you save one life, you need a gold star. And if yeah. you save hundreds, um, yes, unfortunately, my veins are so stuffed at the moment. I can't give blood anymore because there's no access points. So if you can do it, somebody else can do it for me. Please, yeah. please do because, um, yeah, you know, 
as, as that little bird on the branch said, the the life worth living is just so magical and we have to hold on to every little bit of it. And if you can do that to help, then definitely do so. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mandy. It's been a joy to have you on the podcast and to have you as part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. Great. Thanks for getting in touch. Cheers. Mandy McCracken is a bloody Aussie legend. I absolutely adored her no bullshit approach to telling her story and then to just getting on with life. Her new venture, Get Started Disability Support Australia, will be so incredibly useful in connecting families with additional needs and people with disabilities. Mandy is looking for financial and strategic partners for this project. She is also available for speaking engagements. Details and where you can find her are in the show notes. I am so grateful to Mandy for being so generous in telling her the de- us the details of her story, and I really hope it illustrates how quickly life can change and that you or someone that you love could become dependent on blood donations of other Australians to stay alive. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift. And it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Mandy McCracken with audio production by my husband and Marley's dad, Jeff Fisher. If today has inspired you to make a blood donation, we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood team. You can request this when you book in for your donation by calling Lifeblood on 13 14 95. Thank you for joining us for this episode. And could I ask you a favour? Could you please give this episode a rating or leave a review on your preferred podcasting platform? This really helps to bump our podcast into other listeners' feeds. And it is one way that you can support the Milkshakes for Mali community and to play your part in blood donation advocacy. And as always, I'll leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my prayers, Mark.